Hi everyone, Philip Sutka here. I have a small favor to ask. I recently updated the Dark River website and with it launched a new mailing list for the podcast. An email list is any author or podcaster's superpower. It's the most direct way that creators such as myself can connect with their audience. I have an exciting announcement coming soon and would like to share it with you first. And I'm going to need your help in launching this new development. So if you would be so kind... Go to darkriver.ca and access the hidden episode at the top of the homepage to sign up for the mailing list. Not only will you be the first to know about updates, but you'll also have access to a behind-the-scenes look at how I created each of the stories. If you try it for a bit and decide that it's not for you, you can easily unsubscribe at the bottom of any of the emails. Believe me, I will not take offense. I will just be so thankful that you were willing to give it a shot in the first place. So head over to darkriver.ca, access the hidden episode, and join the ghosts in uncovering the town's secrets before anyone else. And now, on with today's story. This story contains material that may not be suitable for all ages. Listener discretion is advised. Thank you for joining me in this strange small town in northern Ontario. My name is Philip Psutka. If this is your first time visiting, I'll be your guide. If you're a familiar face, it's good to have you back. The town embraces newcomers and old friends alike. But be warned, it doesn't easily let you go. So dim the lamps. Settle in. Welcome to Dark River. It was that time of year again, Halloween, and Julie Barker was in a foul mood. As was the custom on Halloween night, her father, Jim Barker, would host the annual Barker Halloween Corn Smash in the shop adjoining the farmhouse. People would show up for miles around to participate in dancing, festivities, and spooky merriment. Although they had ceased doing the corn maze four years ago when a boy had gotten lost in it and disappeared, the rest of the tradition was maintained. Even a tragedy such as that couldn't keep people away. The boy had been reckless, of course, and it was his own damn fault that he had gotten lost. Three boys had entered the maze— but only two had come out. They had clearly broken the rules by going in without adult supervision, so what did they expect would happen? Although the disappearance couldn't be explained, there must be some perfectly logical reason why he never came back. The cock and bull story the other two boys had concocted was pure rubbish, a fantasy that they came up with to get them out of trouble. Julie had her own theory. Their property backed out onto the river, And the boy, Jack, must have stumbled out the back of the maze into the cold water after his lantern had burned out. It was not out of the question for his body to have been swept far enough downstream that no one would find it, as the river always swelled at this time of year due to the fall rain. Sometimes, they would even get a bit of snow before the end of October. So even if he had managed to pull himself out of the water he could easily have died of hypothermia in the cold. 
His body could have then become sustenance for any number of wild animals before remains could be discovered. Perfectly logical. Julie had always helped her father design and build the corn maze each year, and she was given the honor of being the first to test it. It held a special place in her heart, for it gave her significance on the farm. It gave her an identity beyond being merely Sam's younger sister. Her brother had his own significance through a scary tradition each year. As six o'clock approached on Halloween night, he would pull on some old baggy pants, large boots, an oversized thick wool shirt, and gloves on his hands. He would finish the costume off by stuffing straw into the cuffs of his sleeves and in the tops of his boots before completing the illusion by placing a large jack-o'-lantern on his head. When guests first arrived at the party, Sam would place himself somewhere near the entrance. Even though he was now 18 and would act the part of the begrudging adult when it came time to don the costume, Julie knew that he secretly still loved doing it. But it wasn't him that had killed her tradition. It was her father. After that night four years ago, he had insisted that, in the name of safety, the corn maze had had its final run. She had expected herself to be able to get past the anger she felt near the beginning of October when they would normally start planning the maze together. But as each year passed, her anger matured and deepened like a dark vintage wine. The corn smash lived on while the corn maze had been buried. Hey there, kiddo! Her father's voice snapped her out of her reverie, and she turned from the sink to see him standing in the doorway behind her. Ready for tonight? She nodded and turned back to the dishes. Good, he said. Once you're done with those, come out to the shop and help me finish decorating. As he opened the door to the shop, he called back, It's going to be a good night. She heard the door close behind her, leaving her in the empty kitchen with her thoughts once again. She shook her head to cast them away and looked out the window. She could see the kitchen garden through the glass. Like most other farms around Dark River, Barker's had two gardens, a larger one for subsistence vegetables and a smaller kitchen one that Julie and her mother tended to, where they grew most of their herbs. They also had the 40-acre cornfield to tend to on top of that, so the Barkers were kept busy throughout most of the year. Her eyes swept over the small shoots hanging on to the bitter end and were inevitably pulled to the larger shape rising from the ground. She tried to avoid looking at it whenever she could, but it was nearly impossible not to. Its stuffed gloves were at odd angles, giving the impression that the figure had broken both of its wrists and they had been improperly reset, and it had two left hands, as both gloves were mismatched and had no better use on the farm. The stuffed straw head had been replaced with a pumpkin, featuring a large, scary grimace carved into it. Finishing up the dishes, she bent down and removed the compost bucket from under the sink. She walked outside with the bucket in hand and headed towards the pigs off to the side of the house. Then she stopped, turned back around, crossed back to the kitchen garden, and walked right up to the scarecrow. 
Its expression seemed to taunt her as she threw the scraps in its face. She rinsed the bucket out in the sink and replaced it underneath again before she crossed to the shop door. As she reached for the handle, she glanced through the kitchen window once again. The scarecrow was still standing guard over the garden, its front now dripping with rotting vegetables. An apple core fell from its mouth as if it had spat out a bone. Her father was pulling tables to the side of the shop to clear the space for the dance floor as she entered. Help me with this one, he said. When it was all cleared, he turned towards the stack of straw bales he had brought in and began placing them around the shop, grouping a few of them together to form additional seats for the guests that night. Julie? She snapped back and saw her father gesturing to the wheelbarrow of pumpkins he'd rolled in earlier. We'll use those for decoration. Fine, she said. She placed a few of them around the room in silence. Her father sensed that something was wrong, but clearly didn't care. So it really hasn't been long enough yet? she asked. He turned to her, his brow furrowed, but didn't say anything. She knew that he knew what she was talking about, and his charade of obliviousness pushed her over the edge. How many years is some dead kid going to continue to ruin our lives? That's enough, said Jim, his face darkening. She knew that she had crossed a line, but she didn't care. You get to have your party. Sam gets his stupid costume. I said enough, barked Jim. You're a young lady now. Start behaving like one. The petty attack on her character hit her like a ton of bricks, and before she could get a handle on her thoughts, her instinctive response took over. What would you know about that, she spat. I may as well be invisible or dead like that idiot boy. Maybe you should think twice about not doing the maze again. Perhaps if you did, I would be the one to get lost in it, and all of your problems would disappear, right? She saw the blind rage engulf his face, and he moved quickly, his hand raised. She threw the pumpkin she was holding at him, and it hit him square in the chest, exploding in a shower of orange guts across the room. That stopped him for a moment, which was all she needed to tear out of the shop. By the time she reached the barn around the other side of the house, she was shaking. Her father was nowhere to be seen. He hadn't followed her. She looked down at her shoes, now coated in mud, for she had run straight through the garden, and she could see pieces of roots stuck to her feet. The ground was soft and wet. It had rained earlier, and was still warm for late October. Her footprints were clearly visible leading from the shop right past the scarecrow that was now looking her way. Fear welled up in her chest before she realized that she must have clipped the pumpkin head running by and caused it to rotate towards her. The rest of the day passed by in a flurry, and it was six o'clock before she knew it. She had avoided her father and focused on decorating outside the shop or around the entrance to the farm's laneway, wherever she could work alone. She was just finishing up placing a few pumpkins that Sam had carved near the road when she saw the first carriages approaching, and she quickly ran back to the house to change before the guests arrived. Leaving her muddy clothes on the floor of her bedroom, she pulled on a clean petticoat, a white blouse, and a long black skirt. She could hear the guests filling the shop, 
and despite her bad mood, she felt a flare of anticipation. It was Halloween night, after all. She stepped outside the front door and immediately spotted Sam, dressed the part and sitting sprawled out on a large stack of bales near the entrance. Julie was just about to go over and ruin his surprise for the next group of people approaching when she saw Michael walking towards the entrance with his family. Her breath grew shorter as she remembered a day two summers ago when she had come upon him and some friends playing down by the river. Not to be outdone by boys, she had shed her skirt and blouse and jumped into the water in her petticoat, an act that would have earned her a beating from her father had he found out. It was scandalous for women to show bare arms or legs, much less dive in in only their undergarments. He had watched her with a look she understood well, for she looked at him much the same way. But they rarely saw one another after that, except for at the corn smash. She had been waiting for him to ask her to dance last year, but he had kept his distance. When she caught his eye, he returned the smile and held her gaze. He was visibly older now, with a hint of stubble appearing along his jawline. He opened his mouth, and her heartbeat quickened. Rawr! The scarecrow jumped at him, and he nearly tripped over his own feet. By the time he regained some of his composure, Sam was cackling through the pumpkin head. You should have seen your face, he snorted. Right, said Michael, his face beat red. Really mature. It's Halloween! What'd you expect? Then Sam turned to Julie and said, That was perfect. Just stay there and distract them as they come in. Eat tar, she said, and turned back to Michael. But he was already heading into the party. Julie slipped in after him. The shop was packed full of people now, and Tom Bigar struck up a reel with his fiddle. She could see people setting up for a square dance, and she caught sight of Michael, separated from his family, about to join in. Before she could think twice, she slipped into the line on the lady's side directly opposite him right as the dance started up. She saw the flicker of a smile flash across his face again as they stepped in time with the rest of the line, three steps in, a bow, and three steps back out. They do doed and sidestepped together up the middle of the two lines and back down to their original positions, hands interlocked. Linking elbows, they alternated going around each other with the partners on the opposite sides, moving up the line before returning to their original position at the head, and now Julie couldn't help but let a smile of her own spread across her face. They peeled around, forming a bridge for the rest of the line to dance through, the fiddle music playing on and picking up speed. Their hands remained interlocked high above the other partners as the line continued through, and she could feel the sweat on her own hands mixing with his. All thoughts of the day, all misery at having her Halloween torn away from her, had vanished, and now her world was shrunk to the music, the movement, and the boy in front of her. Her lungs heaved, and her heart pumped harder as they interlocked and came apart, nearly whipping one another around in the frenzy of the dance. Their eyes found one another through each movement. Their mouths parted, breathing in time. Suddenly it was over, 
and as everyone applauded Tom Bigar, who took a bow, followed by a swig of beer, Julie grabbed Michael's hand and pulled him away from the crowd, along the side wall, and out the back of the shop. She didn't know if her father had seen, but she didn't care. She stole a glance back over her shoulder to check and see if they were being followed as they crossed to the barn, but no one else emerged. The party raged on inside the well-lit shop, and she was grateful to be in the dark. This was her element, and her excitement flared at the contrast between the cool night air and Michael's warm hand in hers. As they passed the kitchen garden, she noticed that the scarecrow was gone. Sam obviously had taken it for his revelries tonight, and for the first time that evening she felt grateful to her brother, for the last thing she wanted was to have to walk past it in the dark. Although it was warm for October, the cool evening air was descending, and she could feel goosebumps ripple along her arms, though she wasn't entirely sure if they were from the night air. She opened the door to the barn and led Michael inside letting the door slam behind her. It was nearly pitch black, except for slits of light coming through the spaces between the old barn boards, but her eyes were already adjusting, and she could see his face in the dark, looking around. The smell of straw and animal was strong, but it was a smell that she was used to, and it was comforting, safe. Julie, I... But she didn't want him to speak, didn't want to give the slightest chance that another man might ruin this night for her, so she grabbed the front of his wool vest, pulled herself into him, and put her mouth over his. He froze in surprise, but his tension quickly subsided, and his hands naturally found her back, as their lips grazed, playfully pulling at one another's. She stopped and pushed him away, holding him at arm's length. God, he's beautiful, she thought. There was a large area behind her where they kept loose straw. Without a word, she pulled the boy by his vest towards it. Their faces met again, mouths open this time, and Julie's world became hot breath, hands through hair and pulling at clothes. Her fingers fumbled at his vest buttons while he pulled her blouse out of her skirt and slid his hand up. It was a delirious experience, and she didn't know whether to close her eyes as she had seen adults do when kissing, or keep them open so that she didn't miss a moment of the wild abandon. He was unbuttoning the top half of her blouse while his mouth moved down her neck, and she shivered violently, though not from the cold her eyes closing of their own accord to fully embrace the moment. She felt something hard hit her in the back, and her petticoat was torn away from her chest before hot tongue and teeth replaced it. The shock of it caused her nerves to flare, and she gasped and opened her eyes. Then her world lurched, her breath stopped, and her body went rigid. Sam was standing silhouetted against the slits of light through the barn boards, still in his costume, silently watching them. "'What are you playing at, you pervert?' Julie yelled, frantically trying to pull her petticoat back up over her breast. She could feel Michael stiffen and come away from her, but her eyes remained locked past his shoulder. 
Sam didn't reply. He didn't even move. He simply stood there, looking at them through the pumpkin head. It was Michael who broke the silence. Julie, what in God's... Get lost, she yelled. You brought me, he began, but she cut him off. No, him. His eyes followed her gaze before he turned back to face her. You're just going to stand there? She wasn't sure which one of them she directed the question at, but she could feel the blood rising in her cheeks. Sam didn't move. Michael was looking back and forth between the two of them. Julie, he said. You're taking his side, she said. What's wrong with you? Who? She just stared at him. He looked back once again. Are you blind? She snapped. After he scared you earlier, how are you... Julie, there's no one there. She couldn't believe that the two of them would play such an awful joke on her. But before she could find the words to lacerate them, she blinked, and Sam was suddenly right behind Michael. Before Julie could utter a word, she saw the pumpkin's face slam down into Michael's shoulder. Michael's scream echoed off the walls of the barn and pierced the night air outside. A couple of men standing outside the party looked up briefly from their pipes, but it being the night that it was, they didn't think too much of it before returning to their smoke and shadows. Back in the barn, Julie stared in horror at the sight in front of her. Michael was writhing on the ground, blood seeping from his neck. The scarecrow stood deadly still in front of her, the pumpkin's original grimace now transformed into a big, jagged grin. The hollow interior of the pumpkin's head and the blood dripping down the front of its teeth, black in the slivers of moonlight. Her eyes bulged from the pressure of the scream that refused to escape her lips. The scarecrow stared her in the face, too still to be human, and mocked her through its lifeless grin as Michael struggled to pull in wet gasps of breath. And then Julie found her voice. Had the men still been outside, they wouldn't have thought twice about running to the source of this scream. But they had returned to the party. Julie stumbled sideways, away from the horrifying figure in front of her, her eyes never leaving it. It remained propped up where it was, as if someone had planted it there in the barn to give some unwitting fool a good scare. Julie's gasps matched up with Michael's as she turned and bolted for the door. She grabbed the handle, yanked the latch up, and pulled it open. As she cast one last glance behind her, she caught sight of the scarecrow. It had turned and was facing her once again, now only a few steps away, its one leg forward in mid-stride. She froze, her hand clasped tightly around the edge of the door. Slowly, she backed out through the doorway into the cool night air and pulled the door closed tightly in front of her, securing the latch. She only managed to get a few steps away from the barn when she saw the latch slowly lift and the door creak open, and she turned and bolted across the yard. The door slammed behind her, and before she could help herself, she looked back over her shoulder, still running full tilt towards the shop. The scarecrow was halfway across the yard in a runner's tableau, its jack-o'-lantern grin glowing faintly in the moonlight. 
If she gave it a chance to move again, she knew that it would close distance on her. So she tried to correct her footing in the moment to face it while slowing herself down. However, the ground was slick, and her feet slid out from under her. She fell. In the brief moment between squinting in pain as her tailbone connected with the earth and catching the scarecrow in her vision again, it had covered at least ten yards, and its silhouette was now looming over her in the moonlight, frozen with its arm reaching down towards her. She let out a low moan and fought the urge to turn and run again. It was too close. She wouldn't make it back to the shop. Fighting to get her breath back under control, she shuffled back along the ground, her eyes as wide as she could open them, looking directly at the ghoulish figure before her. She felt her hands sink into mud and realized that she must have reached the kitchen garden. If she shifted her trajectory slightly to the left, she should reach the side of the shop and could make her way along the wall until she felt the door. Slowly, she got her feet under her and stood back up, desperately trying not to take her gaze off the scarecrow. It remained where it was, its arm still reaching out towards the spot where she had fallen. Although its head was aimed down, she sensed whatever dark life was behind its eyes focused on her every movement. Her own eyes began to water, and she pulled her eyelids apart with muddy fingers, fighting the burning sensation blooming steadily. Then, something hit her from behind, and by the time she realized she had backed into the stake that held the scarecrow upright in the garden, she blinked. The scarecrow instantly materialized a few feet in front of her, its arms wide as if ready to give her a giant hug, its grin now encompassing most of the pumpkin head and full of razor-sharp teeth, and Julie lost whatever control she had regained. She screamed and screamed in its face, her back still firmly against the post, and it grinned and grinned back at her. Before she could stop herself, she turned and sprinted towards the safe haven of the party. Thank you for listening thus far. In a moment, we too will run to safety. But first, I'd like to let you know that we have new original spooky stories coming regularly. So follow the show on your favorite platform so you never miss an episode. And if you enjoy your time in this haunting town and you'd like to support the show, you can do so through our brand new Patreon page at darkriver.ca slash support. I'd also like to take a moment to say a big thank you to the Region of Waterloo Arts Fund for supporting this episode and the show in general. But now, let's try to escape with Julie. Before she could stop herself, she turned and sprinted towards the safe haven of the party. For a brief moment, she let the scarecrow slip from her sight as she rotated around the post towards the shop. She dug her boots into the muddy ground and ran straight into a straw-filled torso. 
And now the scarecrow had truly come to life, for it locked her in a tight embrace, pinning her arms to her sides, and she finally snapped, wailing as the moon looked on, bathing them in its ghostly light. And through her writhing she felt the scarecrow's strong hands grab her and pull her towards its face, towards its maniacal grin, towards her end. And right before everything went black, it said her name. Black turned to white, and the white dissolved into the yard, and she saw a strange vision above her. The scarecrow had shed its pumpkin head, replacing it with her brother's face, and it was saying her name over and over again. She tried to fight it off, but she was too weak, and it grabbed her arms and said, Julie, it's me. It's just me. It's Sam. It's okay. Everything that she had been holding on to, all the grief, anger, and rage came pouring out, and her body convulsed in sobs, and Sam held her. Although she heard him ask again and again what had happened to her face, she was crying too hard to answer, and she barely registered the red mess that he wiped from her mouth. By the time others had gathered to see what had happened, the sleeves of Sam's costume were soaked in blood and tears. A half hour later, a few boys escaped to the barn with a jug of beer and came upon Michael before racing back to the party for help. Luckily, the town doctor was there and rushed back to tend to the boy. After staunching the wound in his neck and calling for more aid, the doctor said that Michael would live, but that the damage was severe, and he would likely never speak again. Michael's friends stood frozen around him, rendered silent, until one of them asked what did this to him. The doctor brought a bloodied hand to his brow, rubbing it restlessly. That's just the thing, he said. Normally I would expect to see the marks of a wolf or a clean cut of a knife for an attack like this. But while these are indeed bite marks, these marks were made by human teeth. Outside, a crow cawed in the distance before landing on the shoulder of the figure standing guard over the garden. It pecked at the pumpkin, pulling away a bit of flesh just below the eye, and the juice streamed down in the Halloween moonlight. This has been a tale from Dark River, written and hosted by me, Philip Sutka. I also produced the show, as well as composed the music for it. This story was co-edited by Lindsay Belair. The podcast artwork was done by Chris Sutka. For more history of small-town life in northern Ontario in the early 20th century, be sure to follow our Instagram, at Dark River Podcast. Though based on actual history, this story is a work of fiction. Any resemblance to persons living, dead, or other is entirely coincidental and unintentional. Thank you for stopping by, and happy Halloween.